0: You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. My name is Dean of the pastor at City Church. Hello to those watching online, also to those watching from the beach uh, this Labor Day weekend. Hello to all my people down at St. Teresa. Uh, We hope to see you back next week. Uh, We're uh, going through a series called Fish Out of Water, uh, where we're looking at how that's a reality for the Christian, how we live our lives in this world and it should feel like we are fish out of water. Not because we're better than anybody else, not because we're morally superior than anybody else, but the scriptures say we're actually living in a world that is not our home and it should actually feel like that for the person who's trying to follow Jesus. Uh, before I jump in, how awesome to see Nicole and Ryan get baptized this morning, wasn't that amazing? I just love seeing that. Um, I've, I've known Nicole for a long time uh, and I met Ryan uh, later, but uh, when I was meeting with them um, to do their wedding and and just to see that decision they made to come forward and to do that uh, before their church was just absolutely fantastic. So I'm like on cloud nine up here. I can just say amen and go home. you are like, can you please? No, but I got to just talk about some things. I got to talk about some things first uh, that I think are really important. So we're going to jump in uh, to Philippians chapter three. Uh, last week, we uh, started from the end of chapter three, which is a little bit different, a little un- unconventional, but and we worked our way backwards uh, because I wanted you to get an Understanding of why he drew the conclusion he drew, the Apostle Paul, at the end of chapter three, and what set up that thought process. So this whole idea of being a fish out of water, you've probably heard the saying before, uh, where you feel like you're out of place. So you feel like you're not in the right environment, or one maybe that you're used to. We said last week uh, it's very similar uh, to having a full set of teeth and going to Gainesville. Just feel kind of weird, right? You just feel a little bit different. You feel like a fish out of water. I, went, I was invited to a party uh, not, uh, maybe a few years ago at somebody's house, like a house party, and it was more but like a catered kind of fancy kind of deal, and I, it was a black tie party at a house, so I, sh- I rsvp that I was gonna go, I show up, but somehow, lost in translation, I missed that it was a black tie party, so I show up, and there's all these hitters there, everybody you know in their, in their tuxes, looking awesome, I roll in in a polo and jeans, All right, just talk about embarrassing. I mean, I felt like a fish out of water, so what I did was I got out really quick. I mean, I I just bailed really fast. I think like three people saw me. Like I walked up, realized that I was out of place, and got out of there as soon as I possibly could. But here's the reality for us as Christians. We don't have the liberty to bail on this world. God has us here and wants us to be here and to be faithful here. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He said that you know a city on a hill, that, that it shouldn't be hidden. It should be lit for all to see. So it's important we understand how to live out that reality of being in the world where we live, where our address is, but not being of the world. Our ultimate loyalties don't actually lie here. So here's what Paul said in verse 18. He's of chapter three. We're just gonna work through Philippians 3, the first half of it today, but I'm gonna start from last week as a review to get the context of where we're headed. In verse 18, he said, for I have often told you And now say again with tears, not with judgment, not with condemnation, but with tears. Like he's actually hurting as he writes this. He's broken for them. He says that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. That I'm broken over these people. I have tears, he says, as I'm thinking about the fact there are people out there that are not about Jesus. But not just that, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. They're against Jesus, maybe by their own actions, maybe by their words. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. And he says, here's why I'm crying. Here's, here's why I'm tearful about this. Their end is destruction. He's being honest. He's telling it exactly as it is, because he cares about them. And by destruction, meaning that God, since he's a holy God, is not gonna let sin go unpunished. That's why we call the gospel, that it means good news. The good news is that Jesus, who never sinned, who always lived his life for the Father's glory, who never one time made a mistake, he was eligible to be the only one who actually could be the perfect sacrifice for us. It's good news because Jesus took on the penalty that we deserved for our sin. We could say that he was destructed, he died so that we would not be. And then he rose from the grave three days later, securing our salvation and proving he was the exact one he claimed to be. But those who reject Jesus, who haven't put their faith and trust in Christ, he says their end is destruction because they're going to be judged as their sins deserve rather than Christians who by faith have believed this good news, repented of their sins. We're told that Jesus was the one who was judged in our place. So We take open that good news. He says their God is their stomach, which last week I said, that does not mean they went to the buffet too many times or he's not calling them out for always getting all you can eat at Sunny's or an extra sandwich at the restaurant, meaning their God is themselves. They're self-consumed. It's not about Jesus, it's about their own glory, their own, whatever they want it to be, all about me. And he says their glory, which they're seeking for, their, their own self-glory, it, it is, is in their shame. And then he gives a big picture of what actually their problem is. They're focused on earthly things. Like that's what's going on here. The reason why they're on the road they're on is because they're focused on the things of this world rather than the things of God. Then he makes a strong contrast. He says our citizenship, as in Christian people, people who know Jesus, ours is in heaven. Like that's where we ultimately belong. That's where our loyalty lies, so we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because our citizenship is not of this world, because we're not focused on earthly things, because our end is not destruction because of God's grace, because our God is not our stomach, we are people who are eagerly waiting for Christ. We long for Christ's return because being with him forever is better than anything this world could ever offer for the Christian. But in the meantime, God has us here. And we live here for his glory. So that was the, towards the end of chapter 3 as he's making that declaration of where our citizenship lies. That we are fish out of water living here on earth. But then he gives, at the beginning of chapter 3, he kind of makes the case that leads to this of what is it that should make the Christian so different. Verse one, it said in addition my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. So he's written to them before in other words. He's talked about this matter he's about to talk about with them I guess maybe several times. And he's saying it's no big deal for me to have to cover this again. We're gonna have to go back kind of and be re-reminded of this. And he goes, that's no trouble for me because this is a safeguard for you. Like I care about you, I love you, people of the church. So I'm reminding you again of something that I've already reminded you of. So they might have rolled their eyes at first and like, oh my gosh, he talks about this every single time. But he's saying we have to do this because it's a safeguard for us. Well, what's he talking about? He says in verse two, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the dogs. He's not talking about Georgia football here. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. What's he talking about? Well, there were a group of people called the Judaizers and they were infiltrating the church and they were telling people who had become Christians, Jewish people who had converted to Christ, that they, excuse me, Gentile people who had converted to Christ, that now they started having to follow Jewish law, especially being circumcised. Like if you were actually going to be truly saved from your sins, an actual child of God, actually forgiven for the wrongs you've committed against God, made new, made a new person as God has promised us in Christ, that you had to be as close to Jewish law as possible, and you had to get circumcised. If that was me, I'd have been like, you know what? Buddhism sounds really great right about now. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not signing up for that. Uh, but So he's telling them these things. People are starting to give in. And Paul's not just saying, oh, we can agree to disagree. He's not saying it's all you know, different roads and it leads to the same destination. You do you, I'll do me. He's like, no, 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 this is anti-gospel. These people are dogs. They are trying to pervert the message of the scriptures. This is dangerous, he's saying. They mutilate the flesh figuratively in that they are trying to disrupt the body. They're trying to tear the body apart from the good news of the gospel. And literally, as they're calling for adult people who become Christians to go through these Jewish practices of being circumcised. And he goes, we have to reject this. I have to remind you this again because they're around here. One thing that makes the fish out of water is we don't think everything's the same. We don't think all roads lead to the same place. We don't think what works for you works for you. We believe that the gospel is the only way of salvation as in the good news of faith through Jesus Christ and anything added onto that is something that we have to be aware of because it can devour and mutilate the body of Christ. And he says, for we are the circumcision. And by that, he's referring to the new covenant that is made that our hearts are now circumcised. It's a spiritual circumcision. That's where our identity, our marker is now is that God has made us new the ones who worship by the spirit of god that's who we are now we we boast so because of that we boast in Christ jesus so what's the opposite of boasting in Christ what he says we don't do we do not put confidence in the flesh Because we've been made new by the Lord, we couldn't do anything on our own to be saved from our sins. No action that I could commit could remedy the fact that I've sinned against God. That the only thing that we actually contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. That's what we contribute. Because of that, we don't put confidence in ourselves. We put confidence in Christ. We look to him like he is the one who has provided the way for us all we're looking for in our lives, especially the way to be reconciled to the Father, our Heavenly Father and Creator that we have sinned against. But then he says, side note, I'm not putting confidence in the flesh, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. It's a little Paul getting a little swaggy right here. This is kind of his fishing story. You know, every time you tell a fishing story, it gets a little bit bigger. All right, he's about, this is kind of going to be Paul's version of my dad can beat up your dad. You know, on the playground. Now, when my kids say that it's actually true, uh, just so you know. Uh, but this is kind of his version of that. He goes, so we don't put confidence in the flesh, although, time out, if anybody could, I could. And they're like, oh yeah, how's that? Well, although if I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he goes, check out my resume. Jewish audience that admires these things. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's like varsity level Judaism. It's like the Tom Brady of being Jewish, to be circumcised on the eighth day. Because of the tribe that he was identified with, he says, of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. This is Judaism of Judaism elite here. Because a Hebrew born of Hebrews but look at my lineage. I check out perfectly for all the things that you think are important. Regarding the law that you're trying to push on us, we have to keep following perfectly, a Pharisee. The Pharisees were law keepers. I mean, they memorized the first five books of the Bible. Paul's like, how was that? Yeah, like, I, I check all those boxes. Regarding zeal, you want that? Here's how zealous I was for our religion, persecuting the church, I was so sold out, I was even trying to stop Christianity from happening. This is who Paul was before he was a believer, before he was a believer in Jesus Christ, before his sins were forgiven. He says, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. He's like, there you go. You think you guys should have confidence in the things that you do in the flesh? How about my resume? They are probably like, whoa, that's right, we forgot about that, like you check out legit. Like you're the guy like you're the one we're gonna ask to pray at Thanksgiving, you know, like that, that person, you know, that says like the big prayers. And then he says, but hold up here. That's a little important side note I had to include for y'all to get exactly what it is I'm talking about, Paul saying, He says, but everything that was gained to me, said all my impressive stats, all my religious accomplishments, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ, it's like, what do you mean? Well, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He doesn't say any of those things are bad. He doesn't say there's anything wrong with being a Hebrew, a Hebrew, and blameless, and zealous, and when it comes to the law, being so meticulous about it and so careful, he doesn't say any of those things are bad. He says, compared to knowing Jesus, they mean nothing. Compared to knowing Christ, rubbish. Thinking those things can save me, laughable. Why, because none of those things deal with the fact that I am a sinner before God. None of those things erase that reality. And you can plug in any modern day terminology into that. Why, what makes you a Christian? Well, I have confidence in the flesh. Let me hear your resume. I was confirmed. I said a prayer when I was six. I was first, I did my first communion. I went to church. I memorized the Lord's Prayer. I get an email to me every day from a devotional that I try to read before I go to work. I listen to Christian music sometimes. It's even number one on my radio dial. Seek ye first, right? Here's all the things that I do. And Paul's response to that is none of those are bad. But compared to knowing Jesus, are those things standing on their own or even as a collection of things are worthless, he's saying. Worthless. Compared to knowing Christ. He said, because of him, because of Jesus, I've suffered the loss of all things, and he knows what that means. He's been shunned, he's been beaten, imprisoned. He's actually writing this letter from being imprisoned. Ostracized, a wanted man, a marked man, people want to kill him, kicked out of cities, shipwrecked, you name it, he's been through it all. Like Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things. He says, but all those things that used to make me proud and used to make me think I was fine, he goes, I consider them now, look at this word, as dung, so I may gain Christ. Because I can't gain Christ if all those other things are in the way. See, when we think of things we need to be forgiven of, we usually just think of bad things, right? Like mistakes we've made, just you know, catastrophic decisions, you know, times where we were just fools, or, or whatever it might be, we think of those things. But a lot of times, we also need to be saved from our good deeds that function as saving methods. So he's not gonna be able to gain Christ and know Christ when what's standing in the way of him are all these accomplishments. I think there's too many things that keep people from wanting to have a Christian conversation about becoming a believer. And I don't, there's a lot of things. I think this just my opinion, this kind of side note, it's just my opinion. I think there's two main things, and it's not intellectual challenges for people. That does happen on a college campus, that's real for sure, but the average person in Tallahassee, like myself, their biggest hang-up to wanting to be a Christian isn't that they have all these unanswered questions. I'm sure they have some, but for most people, that's not, that's not true. I think it's important to answer those questions. I think it's really important. But the two main reasons, just my personal experience that I see that prevent people from becoming Christians is number one, they've seen Christians. And they're like, I don't want to be like that. What makes us different? I don't want to be like that. A lot lot of them see how people handle politics, how people talk about race, how people behave themselves on Facebook, maybe someone who claims to be a Christian and how they are at work or how they treat their wife or... You know how they are towards their parents, or what they're like at school, when their parents aren't around. I mean, that, that's one, and that, that, that's a huge one. Just for every regular everyday folks who aren't going, "I'm not a Christian because hurricanes exist, and if there was a loving God, he wouldn't let hurricanes exist." That's an important conversation. That's not most people. Most people are like, "I'm not a Christian because I know that guy." And he claims to be a Christian the damage that gets done by those kind of things, I mean, it is just incredible to our gospel witness. I'm reading a book right now about, I'm uh, sorry, I just finished a book on, uh, my wife's reading it now, on unsolved civil rights murders in Alabama and Mississippi from the 60s. And fascinating book, tragic book, fascinating book. Some of these guys didn't get tried until like in their mid-80s, decades after their, their terroristic crimes. And this, this investigative reporter basically reopened all the cases and went back and proved that these guys were murderers of different, different people in those areas. So one thing that's fascinating me as I've been reading through it, well as I read through it, was how many of the people who murdered their neighbors only because of the color of their skin were Sunday school teachers, deacons, police officers, one is the sheriff in one of the towns. A pastor was one of them who was involved in it. I mean, it's almost like a miracle of God that some people are still professing the name of Jesus after witnessing all those kind of things. They can only be accredited to the grace of God and nothing else. And I'm telling you, that's, the, that's I know it's like a side note I just went down, but that, that's, that's number one. The second thing is totally different. And that is that people just think they're fine. They just think they're fine. It's like, yeah, Jesus is cool. Like, I'm okay with him. But unless something really bad happens and you text your Christian friend to pray for you, you know, something really, unless you like, really need him to like, take the wheel with Carrie Underwood or something along those lines, like, unless you like, really need that to happen, then it's just kind of like, eh. And that's like the deepest word I can think of for how it, how, how it is, just kind of, Eh. It's just kind of out of sight, out of mind, it's sort of indifferent to it. Like, why do I need Jesus for my salvation? I mean, I believe all that, you know, I believe Easter, Christmas, I, I believe all those things, but, but I'm a good person. And my, my argument back to that is, you're right, you are a good person. You're, I'm an honest man, an entrepreneur, I've worked hard, provided for my kids. You know, I gave I sacrifice much of my life as you know, for my career, for my kids, or I'm just a good person, I mean well, I'm sincere, I give money to charity, I go to church when I can, you know, all these, kinds. and I'm like, you're right, you're right, great person. By the standards, what it means to be good in suburban Tallahassee in 2020. Other people judge by that standard, God doesn't. God's standard of good is not what people in Tallahassee in our lifetime consider good. God's standard of good is himself, which is perfection, which is complete holiness. So the book of Galatians tells us if righteousness can be achieved, if it can be received by obeying the law, by by being good, by listing the things Paul talks about here in this text about his resume. He says that Jesus died for nothing. So that's why this is such a huge deal for us is it's a gospel issue. Like the message of Christianity hangs on it. It's critical for us to be able to understand. So that's why it's so hard to have spiritual conversations in Tallahassee with people because everybody wants enough of Jesus to be associated with him but not too much where you're personally inconvenienced or it means anything. Like that's our city. I'm not trying to say I'm some example of what it means to follow Jesus. I'm trying to be, but I'm a work in progress just like you are. But it's hard to think you need Jesus if you think you're fine. And if you think you're fine, you're saying figuratively, you might as well hold a big huge sign with blinking lights that says Jesus died for nothing. Because Jesus died for sinners like you and me. That's why Paul could say those things. He wants them to understand this. He's saying, Jesus plus something else for salvation is a wrong teaching. It's Jesus plus nothing. You might say, well, what about then acting like a Christian? Like you said earlier, the first point about how people don't become Christians because they've seen Christians, or people who profess to be Christians, I should say, and how they live their lives. I'm like, okay, well, those things don't save us our good works, our actions, our choices. They don't save us our morals. They're evidence that we have been saved. They're acts of worship in gratitude to the one who has given us so much. They're the fruit of our salvation, not the root of it. They show that we, our lives have been changed. They're evidence of that, they're acts of worship as we now try to follow Christ with our lives. So that's why he's telling them all these things. He doesn't even say they're bad things. He says, compared to Jesus, he considered them as dung, dung. You know what dung means, anybody? Anybody know what dung is? Third row, do you all know what dung is? You all know what that is, what that means? They're like, I'm never coming again. Do you all know, do y'all, do y'all know what that means? Joseph, what's a dung? Poop. poop. You said poop in church. Here's how much Paul wants you to understand this, I think, in the text, and to get this. Everybody on the count of three say poop. One, two, three. That was a bucket list item for me. That's what he's saying, okay? That's what he's saying. It's got a whole congregation to say poop at church. That was, I could retire, this is wonderful. And here's what he's saying. Someone's like, Grandma, I'm so sorry. It's not usually like this. I'm sorry this is the day. So here, here's what he's saying. He's, that's the word he uses, compared to Christ compared to Christ, that it's, it's, it's poop emoji. That's, that's what it is. God says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's how he sees it. So what do we do with that? We must look to a righteousness outside of ourselves that is not our own. And thankfully God has provided it for us by the righteousness of Christ. So you become a believer. So I can't find a righteousness in somebody else that's, that's that in my life, like my parents, they've sinned before. My wife, my, my kids, they, they've, they've sinned before. My wife sins a lot less than I do, but she still sins. So I can't look to her. I can't look to a mentor. I can't look to a Sunday school teacher. I can't look to a pastor. They can't give me righteousness because they don't have a righteousness of their own. Some must look to one who qualifies as one who's always been perfect, that has no sin to be given account for, and his name is Jesus, who lived a perfect life that we could never live and then died a death that we deserved and rose from the grave three days later, proving that all he set out to accomplish, accomplishing our justification, our declaration of being not guilty of our sins has been accomplished. So he says after the whole dung and that I may gain Christ, he goes, and be found in him. Like that's what we want. We want to be actually found in Christ. He says not having a righteousness of my own from the law because that's not going to work. But one that is through faith in Christ. His righteousness is then imputed to me. He says the righteousness from God that's based on faith. Book of Ephesians, the same author, Paul says, it's by grace we've been saved through faith not by works, so nobody can boast. Earlier in the text, he says, I don't put confidence in the flesh, instead my confidence and my boasting is in Jesus, because he's the one. So how foolish are we if we point to anything else for our justification that we are saved from our sins, that we are Christians, other than the work of Christ on our behalf? His blood that was shed for us, because without the shedding of blood, the death penalty, there is no forgiveness of sins. And here's great news for everyone in the world, there is good news, there is forgiveness of sins, and his name is Jesus. He says, here's my goal now, verse 10, is to know him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. That's my goal now, he says. So how is this fish out of water? The first thing is, as believers now, we should have a different understanding of righteousness based on this text. Don't underestimate how fish out of the water that idea is. Because probably the most common belief system in our world today is just that good people go to heaven. It's just about being a good person. They don't tell you what heaven is, who's in charge, how good's good enough, what's the cutoff. Just good people go to heaven. They've even intellectually done work on that. It's just like, yeah, good people go to heaven. Every funeral I've ever been to, we're told we're so glad that Uncle Bob is now you know, in the big bass lake in the sky catching fish with Uncle Jim. You know, that's kind of what we're told. You know, I'm just so thankful that Grandma and Grandpa reunited again. He missed her so much. Or I just know right now there's a golf tournament and he's hustling everybody up in heaven, you know, right now. You know, that, that kind of stuff. And people don't mean any harm by that, but the reason they think that is because he's a good guy. He's a good guy. The reason why somebody's in heaven right now is because Jesus died for their sins. And they believe that by faith and turn from having the God of their stomach to actually following Christ. So we have to stick out on that, that we must be stubbornly, stubbornly opposed to any thought that says Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus plus nothing. Again, what about works? Well, in that same time in Ephesians 2 where he says that it's by grace we're saved, not by works, Paul then goes in to say that we've been saved now to something, not just saved from something. We've been saved from our sin, from sin's penalty, from God's punishment of sin. We've also have been saved to do good works. We're called to work out, live out our salvation we've been given. So there's certainly a place for works, they just don't save. Because they don't erase sin. That Diet Coke you order does not erase your fried chicken sandwich. As much as you convince yourself that it does. So we have a different understanding of righteousness. It comes from Christ. We need a foreign righteousness, not one of our own. Second thing is we have different desires. Different desires than this world. Paul said, my goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection, verse 10, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. My goal now is to know Jesus. Did Paul have other goals in his life? Of course he did. He's actually really ambitious. He, he wanted to plant churches all around the world. He's very ambitious. He had goals. Can you have personal goals for yourself? Absolutely. But what's your ultimate goal? He's saying, My ultimate goal is to know Jesus, to be found in Him, to grow in that relationship. And I'm not saying that's my goal every day, but I want it to be. I actually believe this stuff to be true. It's not a cultural thing for me, it's not a generic morality thing for me. That he is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. I believe that. So that's worthy of my life. So different desires here. He goes into what that looks like. He goes, okay, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Now that sounds awesome. The power of his resurrection. Let's put verse 10 back on the screen if we can, whoever is back there being the verse 10 person. My goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection. That sounds awesome. mountaintop like, yay, Jesus, let's go. And he goes, and, and I do not like this and, but it's there, <laughs> the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That we're willing to be with Jesus when our life is on here and everybody's rocking. We're willing to be with Jesus when things are right here in our lives as well. Because while my flesh doesn't, you like to hear the second part of that verse, if I wanna be honest in the scriptures and following Jesus, they're both necessary if Jesus suffered for me, why do I think I'd be exempt from it here on earth, a place that's not my home? And what can allow us, even in the worst circumstances or the little ones, to work through it is we know we're citizens of somewhere else. We know that God keeps his promises to us and for us in Christ. That one day, actually, these things all will go away, all these pains, but it might not be until we're with him. So in the meantime, we pursue faithfulness here. We want to be found in Christ in his resurrection and in his sufferings. Jesus said that if anyone wants to be my disciple, he has to pick up his cross and follow me. I said, I'm dying to myself. That was a symbol in the first century of death, the cross. That's what it was a symbol of. It wasn't a necklace. It wasn't a tattoo. Uh, you know, it wasn't you know, a decoration in your living room. It wasn't a sticker on your car. It was a symbol of death. He's basically saying that you're gonna pick up your life, lay it aside, and say, Jesus, my life now is about you. My friend JT English says this. Discipleship, which is learning more about Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, is not an exercise in self-expression, but self-denial. Talk about a fish out of water. What's our world now? Self-expression, self-actualization, self-fulfillment, self, self, self. Do it more of what makes you happy over and over and over again. And Jesus says, no. He's not calling us to be miserable. He's calling us to find our hope in him, to find our satisfaction in him. And there's gonna be times where that's mountaintop. There's gonna be times where we go down. Resurrection and cross. Cross and resurrection, both are of Christ. So Paul to the Judaizers in verse two He's saying, "Look, like we're we're not gonna have peace for the sake of peace. Like we're not gonna conform to anyone else that's trying to change the gospel message. Like we're gonna choose the gospel over popular opinion. Like we're gonna go with God over going with you over going with man." Makes you think of Galatians chapter one, where the similar similar situations happening again. The church is caving in, and they're allowing the message to infiltrate that you have to keep the law in order to be a Christian. That you have to get circumcised, the Jewish law, be as Jewish as possible, and it's starting to creep in, creep in, creep in, to where they're actually embracing it. And Paul writes to the Galatian church and he is not happy. He is actually pretty upset. And before he even gets into theology and the doctrine of why that's an error, why it's a mistake to think that you have to get circumcised, why it's a gospel issue, Before he even gets into all that, what he says is he asks this question, are you trying to please God or are you trying to please man? Because that was the root of their issue. Since others were saying this is how it has to be, then they're going to cave on their theology. So my question to you today is what do you need to consider as dung compared to knowing Christ? What's in the way of you being found in him? Not just what are the sins you need to repent of, that's a daily exercise for everyone, hopefully as a Christian. But what are the righteousness, the works that you need to repent of? That you think make you a certain standing with God or make you fine? Or make you not really in need of Jesus that much? That's like for the really religious people, like you're religious too, but the really religious people think that? What do you need to lay down today and go, I want to be found in Christ? Because compared to him, everything else is rubbish. As my friend told us a minute ago, it's poop. That's the word. Compared to it. It smells. Because it doesn't save. On their own, they're not bad things. When they're made to be elevated as saving things, they become exactly what that text said. The good news is it doesn't have to be that way, that Jesus has been sent for us, he came to seek and save those who were lost, whoever are found in Christ, are found in a righteousness that's not their own, but in the goodness of Jesus. So let's be, fish out, so let's be fishes out of water who don't line up with the world's definition of righteousness and don't have the same desires of the world. So we have desires, we have ambitions, but the greatest one is to know Jesus, more and more. I'm a work in progress on that, I know you are too. Let's commit to the church, being a part of it, they're, they're like making it a priority in our lives so we can grow together in this good news. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word, and we're thankful for even the words, the, the, the strong language and the emphasis that Paul's making to help us get the point. That it's about Jesus, that we wanna be found in him. On the mountaintop in the valley, at the cross and the resurrection, we wanna be people who are of Christ. So for those today who don't know you and it's because of their own good deeds or their own religious background or a ritual that's, that's keeping them from knowing you, Lord, I ask you to open their eyes to see, open their hearts to, under, to understand. They won't leave here today without having a conversation about what it actually means to trust in Christ and not themselves, to trust in Christ and not man-made things. We are people in need of grace and you've freely given it to us in Christ. Let us respond to that by believing that knowing you is greater than any other thing because you're our true joy. You are our true righteousness. We worship you for that. Thank you for our church, for other churches in Tallahassee that gather today. Let us be of your gospel and of your good news. Amen.